Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says in the King James Version, you may be quite a, uh, well acquainted with, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I want to read that in a more modern translation. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. May I suggest that the easiest prey... For the roaring lion is the innocent children. They are less prepared for his approach. The wiles of the devil, his strength. So who's watching the children? First, just a a few thoughts about what the Bible says about children to help establish a platform, a little bit of framework for my sermon today. The Bible tells us very clearly that children are a blessing. I use this scripture verse quite often when I'm doing a dedication. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. I believe that. They can be a handful But they provide intensely much more pleasure than they do trouble under normal circumstances. They are intended to be a blessing. The Bible also tells us that children are our responsibility. Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. See, that's a charge to me, to you, to parents, to grandparents is to train that child in the proper way, in the direction that they're supposed to go. And then it says, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's not to be taken as a guarantee. That's to be taken as wisdom that if you do your best, they have a better chance of departing from the Lord as, as, than they do if we don't do our duty and do our very best. Get the Word planted in them. That's our responsibility. Number three, the Bible tells us about children, and we think this is rather obvious. Children are vulnerable. Now, in Mark 9, we read the account of the disciples of Christ arguing amongst themselves who was going to be the most important person in the kingdom. Christ caught uh, a word of this, and he addresses his own disciples and rebukes them for having this egotistical, self-serving attitude And he told them, whoever wants to be first must be the very last and the servant to all. 
And after he tells them that, he brings a little child to him and uses this child for an illustration to make a point. He says, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me and the one who sent me. That is a powerful, powerful passage. Let's don't gloss over it. Let's don't lose sight of it. He has told the disciples, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you must humble yourselves to be a servant to the least. Then he pulls the children up and he says that whoever welcomes one of these, the children, in my name, welcomes me. So ministering to the children is dear to the heart of Jesus Christ. And it's a humbling thing to do. I always appreciate the adults who have sensitivity towards children, who understand how important they are. I have been in church long enough in my life to know that there have been times when adults have frustrated children, whenever they have spoken harshly to kids who perhaps they were in church but not behaving like they thought they ought to behave in church. And they have been rude to the children. And I know that we need to guide them, direct them, and bring them in But we don't want to discourage them. We have to be very careful because Jesus says welcoming the children is like welcoming him. Can you flip that around and see what the message is? That offending the children is offending Christ. So John has been humiliated. And in order to try and redeem himself, he comes to Jesus And he says, well, teacher, on another matter, we did see somebody driving out demons in your name, and we stopped them. And he swells a little bit in pride. He thinks he's going to redeem his character and his name by telling Christ of this wonderful deed that he has done, and all he manages to do is get rebuked a second time. And Jesus says, don't stop him. Whoever is not against us, I consider to be for us. And then again, he refers back to the child. And he says something that by application applies to the young in the faith and the naive. But the application is equally for the child that he has in his presence. For you can't use the child as an example, an illustration, and then the the statement, the action, the truth, not even apply to them. So it has a double application. He uses this child that he has been holding by his side in the midst of this conversation, this dialogue going on, and he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble... It would be better for a millstone to be hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. We see very clearly the attitude of Jesus concerning children. We should tread cautiously when dealing with children. That's what the Bible says just in part about children to help us understand Christ's attitude and our responsibility. We have kids 
that are in the crosshairs of hell. The current Barna study indicates that nearly half of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before the age of 13. 50% of people find Christ as their Savior at that young age. Two out of three born-again Christians made that commitment to Christ before their 18th birthday. So let's bump it up to the 18th year. Two-thirds of everybody who is currently saved made that decision early in life. Can you see how the later in life people wait before they are impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ or surrender their life to Jesus? The less likely that is going to happen. One out of eight people made their profession of faith while 18 to 21 years old, there's a window, there's 13%. So by and large, the heavier proportion lies earlier in life. Less than one out of four born-again Christians, that'd be 23%, embraced Christ after their 21st birthdays. So it's looking like after the 21st birthday, there's about a 25% chance of coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Where is the ripe opportunity? It lies in the children. It lies up until about the age of 18, maybe extending that up to age 21. That's where the real harvest is. We are glad for anybody of any age that comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But we being human beings find old habits hard to die. And whenever we get into the habit of not living for God and not considering Him in our life, then it's just awful hard to break out of that and all of a sudden say, I think I'm just going to, to, to become a Christian and start living a different life. Now, it can happen. It does happen sometimes. But the percentages show us how unlikely, less likely that is to happen if we don't reach them early. Hell has some tactics. Now, I say if the opportunity to reach young people, if you can reach them... By the time they're 21 at the maximum, you have a great opportunity of retaining them in the kingdom. But you've got to flip that one around as well to understand the importance of this statistic. That hell says, if I can reach them by the time they're 21, the chances are great I will have them for life. They're looking at the same statistics. They're making the same efforts. It's who is going to win the kids. Because whoever wins the kids, the statistics are great. They have them for life. Now we realize the importance of the task that lies before us. All the resources of hell, I can guarantee you, are available to be used to go after our children. First of all, the tactic of hell in reaching and destroying, capturing, kidnapping, ruining, poisoning the children. One tactic that hell uses is to destroy the family. Many experts assert 
that divorce has a more detrimental impact on the children than anyone else impacted by that event. Dr. Patrick Fagan says children whose parents have divorced are increasingly the victims of abuse. They exhibit more health, behavior, and emotional problems. They are involved more frequently in drug abuse, and they have higher rates of suicide just because mom and dad can't get their stinking act together. And children are paying the price, and hell knows that. Why not go after the family if by destroying the family, the children can be ruined in the process? See, children live in a world of dependency. Stability is vital for a child. They are powerless to fix things by themselves. They are powerless to fend for themselves. They rely entirely on their parents for their security and their well-being. And when that world falls apart, it is emotional overload for the child. By destroying the family unit, hell hits at the very core of the child's entire world. But it's not just divorce. It's the broken, incomplete family that robs the children of the nurturing environment provided by both mother and father heading up a functional home. In other words, families that are prevented from even becoming a family to begin with also put the children at risk. Couples who bring children into this world without any commitment to each other, without any commitment to becoming a family, put their children at a huge disadvantage. They rob them of what they need most in their formative years, stability and security. The second tactic of hell is that hell wants to poison the minds of our children by planting seeds of corruption in their minds, in their lives, in their hearts. First, we have the Internet. It's been accurately called the largest unregulated social experiment in human history. Because of the presence of obscene material popping up in unexpected places on the Internet, any child who is allowed unfettered, unguarded, unregulated, unsupervised access to the Internet will most likely eventually be exposed to images that were once hidden from the view of young people. And now, those things are put directly in front of them. Back whenever these kind of things were hidden in, in uh, 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 movie houses and, and bookstores where only adults could enter and children never had a view of that world, they are seeing that. They're being exposed to that just because they're able to get on their computer and access the Internet. But it's not just the Internet. The same is said for what's piped into your home on satellite or cable. A child flipping through the channels can easily be exposed to pornographic images that will be permanently embedded in the child's mind for the rest of their life. They cannot scrub that. It is indelibly printed there. And they will have to wrestle with that for all of their life. And it's not just the television and the Internet. 
Pornographic scenes have been maliciously edited into copies into copies of children's movies or animated cartoons when the parent will plug it in and walk out of the room and somehow before it ever came to this house there were pornographic scenes edited into that for one reason and that is to have a big laugh on exposing kids to this kind of mental poison. Somebody out there has a terribly perverted mind to think that's some idea of a fun joke. Pornographic images are used in video games designed for kids 18 and older. But if the game sits on the shelf at home, or if it's at a friend's house and your child goes there, they are vulnerable. You don't think you're safe just because you don't have it in your home unless you keep your kids at home and they never go anywhere. It's not just the Internet. It's not just cable TV or satellite. It's not just video games. But it might be. Unfortunately, sadly, it might be your child's teacher or soccer coach or tutor or babysitter or the parent of your child's playmate as there's an explosion of sexual predators being driven to madness by their steady diet of pornography and their unrelenting desire to take advantage of innocent, trusting children. Who is watching the children? Hell accomplishes this by reprogramming the values of the children. Our children are bombarded with propaganda from hell telling them that good is actually bad and bad is actually good. We have kids in our uh, supervision today here at the church that somebody has told them that believing in God is foolishness, that church is ridiculous, that Christians are, are all hypocrites and not worth the time of day to hang out with, that they, have, they should not have any time to invest in spiritual matters. We have kids in our supervision under our authority today that have been told these things already, and they are going to make up their mind whether they believe the people who are telling that or not. Why should they come here and believe any otherwise? unless we impress on them the character and the nature of Jesus Christ in us to love them and to care for them and to watch out for them who's watching the kids. You cannot watch a television sitcom that doesn't preach some perverted message of hell's twisted values and our kids are exposed to that. You cannot watch much TV without the theme of homosexuality, recreational sex, casual sex coming up and being established as just being okay and normal and fun. And this generation has unfortunately become known as the hookup generation. For your older people who don't understand that term, it means that they are just looking to sexually hook up with anybody, anyplace, anytime without commitment. They don't even have to know each other's name. They're looking to get together to satisfy a biological urge, and then it's goodbye, I don't want anything more to do with you. It's the hookup generation. But it is tearing the souls out of our kids as they are dabbling with something that was supposed to be associated with a heartfelt relationship, with a commitment. And they're getting into this and it is eating their soul out. They don't know what they're playing with. Our children are being taught that the only standard they need to adhere to in making decisions is if it feels right for them. They're not being told that there is a God 
that the Bible is relevant. They're told God doesn't exist or doesn't care. They're told the Bible is a book of fairy tales. They're told the church is for ignorant and emotionally crippled people. But this generation of kids watch their parents party hard. They watch their parents break their vows. They watch their parents bring home one night stands. They watch their parents curse like hardened sailors. And I ask you what chance do children have of growing up to believe that there is a God that has any moral expectations of them. Who's watching the kids? Hell, furthermore, employs the tactic of stealing their childhood. It's not just children being molested by friends and neighbors and family members and people they trust and people in authority, but it's children being kidnapped and used for sexual exploitation. Jared, the famous spokesperson for Subway Sandwich, who who lost uh, a, a tremendous amount of weight, supposedly because he decided one day just to eat Subway sandwiches. He became their famous spokesman. Everybody knows him as Jared. Skyrocketed to fame because of his lifestyle change. Recently charged with possession of child pornography. The FBI now has had to focus their efforts almost exclusively because of the rampant problem on the violations of child pornography and child stalking laws. In spite of the FBI's best efforts, there's been a 774% increase in child pornography images reviewed by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Rocketing from under 2 million images to almost 18 million images in just six years. We have a problem. Who's watching the kids? I can tell you who's watching the kids. Hell's watching the kids. I can promise you they've got their eyes on them. I can promise you they believe if we can reach these children and poison their minds and capture their heart before they turn 18, before they turn 21, we've got them. But is the church watching the kids? Are the parents watching the kids? In one year, One single year, the profits from internet pornography totaled $97 billion. And let me put that in perspective for you people. That is more than the profits of Microsoft, Google, eBay, Amazon, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix all put together. Hell's plan is to destroy the souls of our children Before they reach adulthood. Are you listening to me? I said hell is looking at our children. And has their sights set on them. And has a plan developed. And hell is saying I am going to destroy them. Before they have a chance to hear the message of Jesus Christ. I'm going to poison them. Before they're even adult enough to be able to know how to deal with these emotional things that they're involved in. I'm going to ruin them. So that they will grow up twisted and perverted. And unaware of any values that they're supposed to be living by. That's hell's game. That's hell's war. And they've got your child in their crosshairs. The most recent statistics show that nearly 40% of all teenagers have posted or sent sexually suggestive messages in this age of the social media, the texting, the emails, the Facebook. 40% of all 
teenagers have posted or sent sexually suggestive messages. 22% of all girls have sent nude images of themselves through their computer or their cell phone. 18% of boys have done the same. 24% of high school students have been involved in nude, what they call sexting. Researchers from Drexel University surveyed college students asking them if they had ever sent or received sexually explicit text messages or images when they were under 18. 54% said yes, and almost all of it in the context of a romantic relationship or a means of flirting. Hell is stealing our children. Hell knows if they kidnap our kids and reprogram before they come adults, the chances are they will own them for life. Hell knows that. And I'm saying this is war, people. Hell is consuming our children, and what are we going to do about it? Another shocking stat by Barna. In case we just think all we got to do is get them to church, this one ought to be alarming to us. The weekend church service is no longer the primary mechanism for salvation decisions. Only one out of every ten believers who makes a decision to follow Christ does so in a church setting or service. If we've got a mentality, if we can just kind of get them to come here, let the preacher preach that they'll come and walk forward and give their heart to the Lord. And we've seen a number of people walk in and out of service and they just don't break down. They just don't come forward because it's no longer... It's no longer the most effective way of reaching people for Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what is? Well, let me tell you what is. Most people, the most effective way is if a friend or a family introduces them to Jesus Christ. It's not just about taking kids to church. It's not just about dropping them off at church while the parents go home to sleep it off until noon. It's about friends and family leading their friends and family into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number three, let's take back our children. I just want to recommend a few things that we should keep in mind and we should do. Hell's unrelenting. They're not going to give up. They're not, hell doesn't get discouraged as easily as we do. About the only discouragement hell gets is complete defeat. Setbacks doesn't bother hell. They come right back. They're going to do their work. Let's take back our children. First of all, I challenge parents, teach and practice family values because I, I believe that that's about the only place they're going to find it. They won't hear it on TV. They're not going to hear it at school. It has to be at the home. Teach and practice family values. Live in such a way that your child grows to cherish those precious moments with the family. We're living in a very, very busy age. I did not realize how old-fashioned my wife and I were. Until it came to my attention, and I don't remember exactly the conversation, who it was with, but I do remember very distinctly as we were talking about uh, just having family meal. And we worked so hard as we had our boys at home to have family meals. And it came to my attention that that's kind of 
gone by the wayside. There's just quick, ready-made food available. People eat when they're, when they're available. When they, the kids come and go, they grab something, they're gone. But sitting around that table with the family, bowing their heads together, giving thanks to the Lord for his blessings, Invoking the presence of the Lord into the family. That's priceless. Getting everybody to stop long enough to turn the TV off, to turn their cell phones off, just to come and us together around the table. You want to talk about fellowship and the breaking of bread, to do it on a family level is priceless. But we're losing that in this generation. I just wish our children understood Family is the backbone of the nation. Teach and practice family values. Number two, train your child in respect. I can guarantee you if your child does not learn to respect you as a parent, they will have a difficult time ever understanding how to respect anybody else in this world. If I think as a child I can get away with sassing my dad and it's okay, I, I'm bulletproof. I'll sash you in a heartbeat. But it's the fact that I realized when I was growing up, there were limits to how I could talk to my parents. Strict limits. I didn't sass them. I didn't backtalk them. I didn't argue very long. I tried to argue. They never lasted long. That was cut off right now. We didn't have long ongoing wars in our family my dad my mom they won real quick they taught me to respect them and their decision i never called them a name i never back talked them and told them they were stupid i never called my dad old man i never called my mother old lady I never told them, I hate you, you bug me, get out of my room. None of that. Well, it was a different age. There's no question about it, it was a different age. But it was the responsibility of my parents to make sure that I was not allowed to do that. If that happens, I'm sorry people, it is inadequate parenting. It's not the age you're living in. It's poor parenting. You have to train your child. You have to stop it and make them realize there's certain things you cannot say to me, certain attitudes you cannot cop with me. You will have respect. Teach them respect. Number three, train your child in responsibility and work ethic because we are constantly looking for help at our daycare. This is just a current example, but in my experience, it goes back more years. Especially today, we know firsthand how rare it is to find young people with a sense of responsibility and a good work ethic, or either one of them. It is shocking. It is shocking. They will hire young people that sleep in and forget to tell you they're not coming, who make up excuses and lies and don't come to work. Just come hauling in when they want to irresponsible, 
will not take responsibility for their actions. It is absolutely shocking because we have raised children without teaching them responsibility and work ethic. When I was a child, and I think I've told you this story, my dad asked my brother and I, do you want a swimming pool? We said yes, and he handed us a pair of shovels. Because, see, my that is true. You want it, you dig it. Because my dad believed in teaching responsibility and work ethic. My dad, for some reason, he absolutely despised coming home and finding his kids inside the house. Because inside the house was television. And what's that going to do for you? He despised finding us inside the house. Now, I'd like, I, I wish I could say that I, I understood that. I grasped that early in life, and so I just spent my life outdoors. But I didn't. I, I, I waited for Dad to come home and ran outside. But the reason I did that is because the fear of God was in me, and I knew he did not want me in the house. Get out and do something. There's nothing to do. Don't say that to my dad. He knew how to find something for you to do if you didn't have anything to do. He didn't care if you went and played with a neighbor kid, went out and played in the horse pasture. He didn't care. Just get outside, do something. I don't have anything to do. Well, good. I've got a project for you. And he'd pull out the shovel again. He said, I want a garage dug out from underneath our driveway. Yeah, our driveway came to an abrupt end on a hillside, so he wanted me to dig out. From, uh, I, I, it didn't take me many times, I promise you, to learn not to tell my dad I don't have anything to do. Teach them, train them in responsibility and work ethic. I met a family out in California. They... Uh, had built their own compound. They had this beautiful, large home. It's one of these families that puts you in the mind of the, like the Duggar family, or they, they just, for some reason, they can't stop having kids. And this man was a successful man. He was an electrical engineer, and he had landed a job that he could do 70 or 80% of his work from his computer at the home. So they homeschooled all of their kids. And... Uh, in the, in the process of this whole homeschool education program that they had, this father kept creating projects that needed to be done to teach his kids work and responsibility. His kids built the retaining walls that were in their backyard. Beautiful work. He went and bought the material, and they built the shed that was out back. The, this was like their uh, uh, shop class anything he needed built this was this was class and whenever we went over to have a meal with them and at that time and correct me they had about seven or eight kids at that time and another one on the way and we had the meal and when the meal was done the father gave the command and those kids got up like a like a little army, and buzzed around. Everybody had their duty, cleared the table, took them over, started washing the dishes, the whole pack. And my boys were sitting there, and the father says, your arm's broke? I loved it. 
these were parents that believed in training their children in responsibility and work ethic. Now, there were other curious things about the family that we won't go into today because I just want to highlight one thing is they did understand one thing. And that is, you don't let your children grow up to believe that money grows on trees, that somebody's going to be waiting on them hand and foot to the, for the rest of their life, that they can go in and trash their bedroom and mom's going to clean it up, that they can go and eat at the table and walk away and somebody else is going to clean their mess up. And we've got a generation today who don't understand responsibility and work ethic, but there's some parents that got it. Now I've got a little group of young people over here. You got kids or you got kids coming on. And I just am challenging you people, if you haven't got on with that yet, up your game. Up your game. Because hell's after your kids. And you want to do whatever it takes to win them and to train them and to perfect them in the Lord before hell has a chance at them. Number four, train your child in finances. And I've kind of covered that just with my quick comments Sometimes children don't have a concept of a value of a dollar if they don't have anything to do with earn it. One thing children don't have to be taught is how to spend. They know how to spend. They don't understand how to earn. Number five, train your child in skills because the rabbis used to say that any person that does not train their son in a craft teaches them to be a thief. That says it all. For God's sake, for your sake, for your children's sake, do something besides equip them with high-tech toys. Get them some music lessons. Teach them how to use some tools. Teach them a craft. Don't let them vegetate in front of a video game for the rest of their childhood. Teach them some skills. Had a man come into my office one time out in California, and he had a son that was about 12 years old. And he said, my son can pull the engine out of any car all by himself. Twelve years old. Because this man had invested his skills in his sons to teach them how to do practical things. I think it's a wonderful thing. Teach them to your children. But the last point, and... Absolutely the most important point is teach them about God. Teach them to love Him and to honor Him, to act responsibly before Him, to work for Him, to share the prosperity with Him. People, the fact is we're losing our children. Hell is kidnapping them, stealing their soul. The battle is for our children. I just want to know today if we're motivated to fight for them or just let hell have them. God has first and foremost entrusted the safety and the development of the children to the parents. And the parents must not fail. We must work diligently to ensure that the children are protected from the prowling lion and that they know the way to heaven and that you introduce them to Jesus Christ. Not just bring them to church and hope the Sunday school teacher does, hope the children's church pastor does, but you introduce them to Jesus. You teach them their prayers. Nothing less for a parent is acceptable. My concluding thoughts. I say again, hell has set their sight on our children. My question is, are we doing our best as parents? 
as a family to keep the children from becoming victims of hell's destructive campaign. I have personal friends and family this very day who have a child that is a prisoner of hell. They are on the streets. They are running from God. They are bound by drugs. They are flipping out. I have one friend from California from time to time. He posts on Facebook, please pray for my daughter. She hasn't been seen in two months. Please pray for my daughter. Somebody saw her last week and she's heavy on drugs. We have no contact with her. They're crying out for a daughter that's lost and a prisoner of hell. They're flipping out. In some cases, they've been missing for months and nobody knows where they are. The parents are crying out in anguish as they remember that baby when they held that baby in their arms. They never envisioned that little child to grow up to be a rebel from hell. They envisioned them to be a productive, functioning adult. They never knew that this would happen. You know why it happened? Because hell was more intent on stealing and captivating their soul than the parents were in protecting that soul. That's just what it adds up to. Hell worked harder at it than you did. Nobody wants to experience that of their child. All that you are doing as a parent to keep your child safe has to be enough. It has to be. In a, see, in a limited sense, we all want to be good parents. And the reason I say in a limited sense is because I don't believe there's any one of you here today who you are parents. You're going to be parents. I don't believe there's a single one of you that would be satisfied to let your children play on a busy highway because you're good parents. Jesus talked about you you being evil people that know how to give good gifts. You wouldn't let your child play with a snake. You wouldn't give them a rock if they asked for bread. You, I mean, we want to be good parents. There isn't a one of us here that would subject our children to danger. We don't let them play with loaded guns. We keep at the house, we keep poison out of their reach because we want to be good parents. We don't let them go out and walk through towns and cities today alone because we're good parents. We hold a small child's hand when we're at the mall. We do not let them out of our sight for a split second because we realize how fast a child can disappear. We don't do that because we want to be good parents. Watch them like a hawk. And the same people who do those things because we want to be good parents, sometimes, sometimes we are so oblivious to the spiritual dangers surrounding our children. Sometimes we're so oblivious to the roaring lion who's walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And we watch out them for them in the physical, but in the spiritual, we're a little too lax. And we're risking losing our children. I wonder if we're doing all we can as a church, it's the parents' first responsibility, but the children are falling through the cracks. And then the church can sweep in and do whatever we can, do whatever we have a possibility to do. I hope our people here have a heart for the children. 
I hope you understand we're trying to keep children's ministry and youth ministry alive. Not because it makes us money, but because we are in a battle for the children of this generation. We want to win them to the Lord before hell gets them. That's why we're doing this. Are we doing our best to keep the children from being seduced and recruited and destroyed by hell? We know there's souls that are at stake. Children are being hunted by the roaring lion. Are we doing our best?